You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations. Limited time only. Plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. And this would be great. We'll, we'll advertise it to the Russellnomics uh, Universe. Universe. The Russellnomics Universe. No, to our students. To our students first. Our students. Yes, we have to make sure they know. Speaking of the executives, um, when we listened to the conference call, there was some quotes, which was kind of enter- interesting, from Michelle Wilson talking about her history with the company and her thoughts on the development of WWE as... as George put it when he was talking to um, Mad Money's Jim Cramer that it's evolved through the years here from a touring company to a new media company. And so do you want to play the uh, quote from Michelle? Yeah, this is from a Needham conference that, that she did with Needham analyst Laura Martin. Uh, both Michelle Wilson and Charlotte Flair were, were guests here. But she tells this story about uh, early on in her time in the company where, when she was put in charge of pay-per-view. And um, much like Charlotte, I came from the NBA, I came from the world of tennis where um, the the vernacular or even the business model of pay-per-view didn't exist. So of course when I was given the responsibility to run pay-per-view, I'm like, what is pay-per-view? I don't even understand how it works. And so the very first pay-per-view I ordered was um, Royal Rumble in 2009. And I said, well, people pay, you know, $55, $60 for this. Um, And it's almost was almost a good thing that I didn't have too much knowledge about what the traditional business model was for WWE. So one of the things I would constantly ask Vince is, you know, this is the most valuable WWE content happens on this pay-per-view platform. And yet um, it's priced, you know, relatively expensively. Um, And again, we're still in business with our partners and we love them. But as a consumer, you know, ordering on a remote and kind of the whole experience, I was like, well, how many of our fans are really watching pay-per-view? Our best content wasn't getting out there. So it really started this journey in 2012 of of George Barrios, CFO, and who's co-president with me, of us really challenging and asking Vince, you know, what what do we need to be doing? What's kind of the next level for us? 
So that's just her talking about how she's put in charge of pay-per-view and how that evolved into her thinking about, well, why aren't that many fans watching this? This is your, your top content here. The pay-per-views where all the storylines culminate. Uh, a few hundred thousand people are ordering it. Uh, and, and what can they do to monetize that better and then enter the WWE Network? And I could do a whole show just on those couple sentences there because yes. the revisionist history is what drives me nuts <laughs> is – yeah, if their model had given them the outfit that they said they were going to get when they laid it out in 2014, where they said, oh, we're going to get this many domestic subscribers immediately. We're going to be able to do a tiered content rollout. We're going to be able to give away WrestleMania for free the first year. Mm-hmm. But maybe we're not going to do that. And then kind of the panic that set in when they only did 667,287 viewers and the enormous number of pay-per-view buys they got that year, even despite having a WWE network. Mm -hmm. And the fact that they completely, as as George mentioned earlier, cannibalized their business, giving away their content without realizing there was a middle ground. It just said to me, you you can see, you can almost hear the disdain in in Laura's voice. I'm sorry, not Laura's voice, Michelle's voice over pay-per-view mm-hmm. that she 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 kind of walked into the situation and said well how the hell did you ever get to 60 bucks a pay-per-view why would anyone yeah. do this how many people are buying this this do isn't you, a good way to like like, business why, why are people paying you 50 60 dollars for this fake sport yeah why why how what do you mean you make 90 million dollars doing this and it's the most profitable segment of your business come on mm-hmm. Uh, and it's like if if you don't think about the fact that thirty years of history goes into that number, mm-hmm. and how they ended up there, and how they incrementally got themselves to that point, and how two thousand nine she's coming in at the global recession, and that was about the first time that WWE ever did a price increase and actually made less money, a revenue or less profit on their pay per view sector over the long haul. So there's a lot of things going on there. And pointing the finger at pay-per-view is a little bit of a they, – they, they made a bad decision in my mind going more expensive right at the cusp of the global recession. But that wasn't a sign that pay-per-view was dead. That was a sign that they just needed to change their strategy and that the WWE Network could have been something more middle. Now, no one's going to bring that up. No one's going to challenge them in that way. But that that's just one of those things where it sounds really nice and te- tight and night and, and – uh, nice and tidy mm-hmm. in retrospect but the reality is a lot more blurry and messy to be char- charitable to them and to, and to michelle wilson she, if i continue to play that clip she does go on to talk about how they were first thinking about it as a as a linear channel and then they re-strategized and ultimately becomes this ott thing because oh we found out all our fans are disproportionately using netflix and hulu so yes no no that that's very true and and that's also part of the narrative that people often forget is that it was envisioned as a linear channel mm-hmm. and that the network idea was not necessarily the first go. So anyways, um, moving on, we're only through February at this rate. We'll never be done mm-hmm. it, this way that we'll have to do a year end review because it will be the year end. Mm-hmm. We can always just uh, jump February- to Saudi Arabia if you want. Well, I was just gonna say February 15th, more, right. more, uh, Maori Television broadcast WWE programming free to air for the first time in New Zealand. February 16th, WWE Mattel's action figures ranked number one for the year. Uh, February 22nd, WWE uh, motion for sanctions against Kairos and the WWE CT lawsuit is granted. This is relevant because it just speaks to how much that that um, CT lawsuit is falling apart for WWE. I mean, against WWE in that basically 
the judge has ruled that most of what's happening from the defense, the plaintiff's lawyers is either wildly misstating things like when they made a inference that like Matt Bourne had worked for WWF for 20 years because he appeared once, you know, at one point of time and then another 20 years later um, or things where they're basically saying, you know, you're trying to bring in stuff we've told you not to bring in like the Ashley Masario allegations from the tribute to the troops visit or they're trying to basically they told him to refile and make things individually labeled and instead he's not doing that. So it was just another blow to them. And that's something where I'm not sure what's happening with the CT lawsuit, but I really do feel like it's on its last legs. Um, and so that will be another big win for WWE when they're able to get rid of that. Uh, there's a, a agreement made for a broadcast free to air broadcast in France that was done on March 2nd on uh, March 2nd. Brian Flynn was also promoted to the chief marketing and communications officer. So again, what was Michelle Wilson's old title chief marketing officer that now goes to this Brian Flynn guy. He's kind of a star to watch in my opinion. Um, he has, you know, uh, marketing, corporate communications, global consumer marketing, WWE network marketing, creative services, special events, publicity, media relations, corporate communications. And he reports directly to Michelle. Um, and so he's someone that I think over time you're going to hear more from is, is Brian Flynn. Um, and then on March 5th, Saudi Arabia to host the greatest Royal Rumble. And on April 23rd, they announced that, that it's, quote, sold out, end quote. Uh, Saudi Arabia news coming right before WrestleMania, coming out and saying basically, hey, we're going to do WrestleMania. And then right afterwards in the same month, we're going to do another event in Saudi Arabia. Um, to say it, it added fuel to the fire for people who wanted to write about WWE. Uh, this was quite the um, quite the frenzy for thought pieces on WWE's uh, standpoint on everything from the Divas Revolution through uh, working with regimes and international expansion. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, we, we, we know Saudi Arabia is getting Vision 2030 money. They confirmed that in an email to me. I mean, they, I straight up asked them, is this part of that? And they basically said, we, we assume you're familiar with it. The WWE is getting Saudi Arabia 2030 money. Yes. Yeah. Yes. We know that essentially the stadium show was subsidized. Yeah. You know, it, 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 it was, tickets were ridiculously low yeah. for the amount that you would have to spend for that kind of a gate. Um, we know that there was complaints after the show actually happened from some of the authority members that, you know, that there was a brief showing of, you know, Sasha Banks in her revealing outfit and things of that nature. We saw the jingoistic angle that they ran in Saudi Arabia against the Iranians. Um, we're, we're, it was we're, we're, we're a fascinating because this is the show, event but, itself, right? April twenty seventh. Yeah, that was that was that was ba- later in April. But yeah, they announced that this deal was happening, and there was criticism over it. And they stood fast, right? They they didn't any point backtrack and say, "Oh, we we made a mistake for announcing this." We learned they were very happy to take this money. Um, March eighth, we hear that uh, GOL is going to air WWE Weekly Highlight Show in Spain. Again, I'm just mentioning all these TV deals because I think we lose the fact that there's so many international deals leaked every year, not leaked, but announced every year. And we miss a lot of them because we're so focused on these big deals. But when we talk about all those, I think they said 160 different agreements they had around the world. These are examples of those 160 agreements. And then on March 15th, we get what you called the Snickers Doctrine. Tell me more about this. 
W decided to name their battle royal the Fabulous Moolah Memorial Battle Royal. This is for WrestleMania. And uh, some fans uh, complained about it. Some fans lamented that other fans complained about it because there's no point in complaining. All these people complain, nothing happens. But then um, Snickers, uh, I guess probably some fans sent Snickers some messages. Anyway, Snickers weighed in and said, We were recently made aware of WWE's decision to honor a former wrestler during the upcoming WrestleMania 34 event. As a principle-based business that has long championed creative and inclusive environments that encourage and empower everyone to reach their full potential, this is unacceptable. We are engaging with WWE to express our disappointment. This is, of course, uh, amid allegations that uh, Fabulous Moolah, who has now passed away, she uh, mistreated people pretty badly. Uh, there's accusations that she was essentially operating as a pimp and uh, probably lots of other stuff as well. But, yeah. And she had a, and she had a documented record of, of you know, in the – was it the 40s or the 50s kind of entrapping, beating up and stealing from married men who were trying to commit adultery. Mm-hmm. Things like that. Yes. So just unsalacious things in her background. Yes. Or, or salacious things, I should say, not unsalacious. So um, in the end, WWE, they hold firm. They tell tell uh, Snickers to uh, mind their own business and that they'll do what they want. Well, they changed the name. They said, oh, no, we're, no, they we're did the opposite. Yeah. We're going to just call it the Women's Battle Royal then. They gave in. And then, of course, Stephanie McMahon had a tweet about this. She's in, you know. She said, thank you, W Universe, for using your voice. What remains most important is the WrestleMania Women's Battle Royal will be a historic match and is part of WWE's unwavering commitment to our women's division. Hashtag Women's Revolution. Uh, hashtag change the name, which I think is the hashtag that was being used by a lot of Twitter users to uh, sort of protest the, the name. Uh, so, of yeah. course, in the it's end... It's a uh, choice. In the end... Just like uh, Saudi Arabia, they want you to know that it was this was not really because of any uh, protest or people complaining. It's because you know we're really behind this change. We're co-opting this change. We're we're all about it. Uh, give divas a chance. And and of course, this is something that you and I have talked about a lot, which is what matters to WWE is less and less whether fans are happy or upset. What matters to WWE is whether corporate sponsors and partners feel that they are going to be enriched by the relationship here and get what they wanted out of it. Mm -hmm. And Snickers was WWE's corporate partner of the year in 2017. Mm -hmm. You know, John Cena came out with the towel and showed that. So this is not to say that Snickers is a low level WWE corporate sponsor. They are a very high level sponsor. They have been very highly engaged. I mean, if you remember, they even did like customized commercials with WWE. The, the key here is that uh, Snickers is the principal sponsor of WrestleMania, and and someone who was doing a long term sponsorship with them. You know, in the sense that they they were using their talent for their Snickers commercials. They obviously you can tell from the um, remember Elias this year. I think even even made a Snickers joke in his song. At the business partner summit, I'm sure he did, um, and and other things. So it was something where you could tell that they have a very close communication with that marketing group there, and so it was interesting to see them kind of push WWE in that direction, and for WWE to say this is not a hill we need to die on, mm-hmm. you know. So I was I was most intrigued by um, that decision, and and like you say, the Snickers doctrine I assume is that if you piss off a corporate sponsor or if you want them to change action, make their corporate sponsor feel awkward about it. Yeah, I guess the the, the, doc, the doctrine is 
the Volk minority, if you want to be as cynical as possible, the Volk minority doesn't matter. What the fans think doesn't matter. Who they boo, what they do online, what petitions they start, what, what posts they make, how many retweets it gets, doesn't matter until a corporate sponsor thinks it matters. And on the flip side, why are they not backing down on anything with Saudi Arabia is because Saudi Arabia, for all intents and purposes, is the corporate sponsor here. Right. Yeah. Unless there's a, I mean, this didn't happen, but unless there were other corporate sponsors who were like, I don't know if I want to do business with you if you're going to do business yeah. with Saudi Arabia. But none of that materialized. None of that materialized because a lot of them do do business with Saudi Arabia themselves. Um, RTL, uh, Starts broadcasting WWE programming in Croatia, March 29th. Um, then on April 7th, which was WrestleMania weekend, they have the Business Partner Summit. We, you and I do not attend. I am told it is not for media. We were banned from Specifically, the Partner Summit, I think. I was not banned. I was not invited. I, I think there's a difference there. If I do hear that there was my picture being circulated and Sami Zayn was unable to attend, mm-hmm. uh, then then perhaps... Eh, Oibda, just Oibda, what's the difference? You know, I don't even look like Sami Zayn. I always find it funny people refer to it as a Sami Zayn hat or me looking like Sami Zayn. I really don't in real well, life, the, do the I? Comp- well, the, comp- the combination of the uh, the flat cap and the uh, the beard, you're basically Sami I don't Zane have any cap. reddish hair. This is true. But, but you have a flat cap and a beard. Yeah, I guess so. I could tell a whole story about when I was at the University of Ghana and got a massive lip infection and people oh, no. that used to mistake me for other Americans that were there. But oh, wow. that's, that's for the premium show. Okay. Um, business partner summit. Some of the big themes that went through global localization. We're going to talk at the end of the show more about what is global localization. That'll the short answer is NXT around the world, the NXT world order. That's right. The NXT world order, which, uh, which includes the Arctic circle, but more on that later. There's a strange, um, not a strange, I don't know why I said strange suddenly. Uh, there's a, a big push for language localization. You know, when people ask, what is WWE going to bring next? What's the next cool programming they're going to do? A lot of it's going to be really boring to a lot of Americans, which is it's going to be like Hindi. <laughs> it's going to be language localization that WWE is going to invest in. Uh, WWE Network 2.0 is announced, but not announced because they specifically tell us this is not what we're going to call it. Mm-hmm. But basically, they announced that there's a new version of the WWE Network coming somewhere down the line, and they infer that it's going to be a tiered version. Yes. Um, they talk a lot about global sponsorships, John Brody's global sponsorships, and how much money they're making on that. And I think that just ties into the Snickers message in my mind, which is to say a lot of what they want to do around the world is going to be dictated by which global sponsors want to do business with them there. Mm-hmm. And the last part was um, just something I called out as just a random example of an initiative that they're going against or going into that I I haven't heard anything about, but it has screwed up all my LinkedIn profile, which is the NXT Content Innovation Lab that they announced there. They basically say there's going to be some kind of a VR, AR, social media super lab that they're going to put in NXT. And of course, I found them the job for this, you know, innovation lab. And so now LinkedIn is convinced that I very much want to work in the field of social media. Mm-hmm. But uh, I did a extensive write up on the NXT, or not the NXT Business Partner Summit, but the real WWE Business Partner Summit. It's available for subscribers. It's a 200 some page document with all the screenshots. And then we did a very extensive uh, podcast all about it. And uh, in fact, I think you can listen to it for free if you go to at Mukigana. 
it's a, a pinned tweet as an example of the kind of premium content that we do for WWE and other things with WrestleNomics through patreon.com slash WrestleNomics. Mm-hmm. WrestleMania happens on April 9th. Talk me through it. Well, uh, they drew 78,133 people, according to their live announcement. Uh, I believe it's about a $14.5 million gate, or $14.1 million gate, which is up from the $10.9 million that they drew at the same building, the Superdome in New Orleans and WrestleMania 30. Uh, we'll get, I've been thinking about this, we'll get, we would usually get an, uh, an idea of what the paid was because we can do some math with some numbers that are released in the upcoming uh, Q2 report. Uh, this is all going to be mixed in with the Greatest War Rumble, too, and I wonder if they're going to split that out of the international. Anyway, that that's a, of only, only interest like you and me. But, uh, yeah. Well, they do. They give us a North American number and an international number exactly. separately. Right. So we should be able to split those two out. So the, the international gonna, number, they might not split out for Royal Rumble. You know what I mean? Like, are, are they going to give a – They give love a, messing with that. Are they going to give a bar for on the North American side that says including WrestleMania and not including WrestleMania? And then maybe on the international side, here's a bar including – Greatest Royal Rumble and not including Greatest Royal Rumble. I don't know. That sounds like a lot of detail for them, but who knows? It does. It does. Especially because you had like the Alamo Dome last year. Right. The and they didn't touch the, that. Uh, Royal Rumble and they didn't try to kind of, they tried to mask that for, yeah. as best they could. Yeah. So we had all that. Uh, and let's, uh, let, 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 let's let uh, George Berrios uh, tell us exactly what happened at WrestleMania. And 2018 business outlook. WrestleMania was a success again this year. We broke the record for the Superdome's highest grossing entertainment event at $14.1 million as a sold out crowd of over 78,000 fans from 50 states and 67 countries attended the event. Highlights of our performance are illustrated beginning on page six. As shown, WrestleMania continues to be a significant driver of subscriber growth and today we are pleased to announce that WWE Network has reached a new record of more than 2.1 million subscribers, which means that WrestleMania was watched in more homes than ever before. As shown, total subscribers and total paid uh, subscribers increased 9% from April 3rd, 2017, the day after WrestleMania last year. So there you have it. 2.1 million total paid total subscribers. Only 1.8 million of those were paid, uh, but that is up from last year, uh, which just... And it was better than I expected. I, I thought they would do everything in their power to get close to 2 million, and they blew past it. Yeah. So that was a big that was a big announcement for them. I think, you know, a lot of people would say, we are getting to the plateau stage of the WWE Network. Short of a re-tiering, it is going to be difficult to grow it beyond the low single digit growth that it's seeing right now, short of either a large investment in a network, I mean, in marketing, international growth, or the Fox deal somehow rejuvenating growth. But again, Fox deal doesn't start till the end of 2019. Mm -hmm. Um, April 9th, there's also a a press release that says Brock Lesnar has resigned with the WWE. Mm -hmm. And I, I find this one, especially, you know, kind of, Amazing. <laughs> when you think about the fact that now we're talking about how Brock Lesnar showed up at UFC last night and is trying to challenge Daniel Cormier and is clearly someone who um, is probably not long for the WWE world. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's kind of incredible to think that, you know, I wouldn't say they were snowing people, 
by saying, hey, we got Brock Lesnar. But I think a lot of people believe that Brock Lesnar was tied up much longer than he really was. Mm-hmm. Dave Meltzer was very adamant that, that Brock was only on a very short-term deal. And I think that's looking more and more true at this point. Mm-hmm. We move on to April 13th. Titus O'Neil gets sued in Florida over the swerved uh, cameraman lawsuit. People don't know this case. The basic gist is that Paige hits Titus O'Neil with a electric prod, cattle prod. Titus O'Neil freaks out and kicks the cameraman for swerved um, guy named Donald Anderson. Donald Anderson gets uh, allegedly hurt very badly in his hands. Um, this happened, I believe, in Virginia. Just his hands. A, Just his hands. Part- yeah, because I think he kicked his hands, basically. So, like, and then do, basically, do we know, hold on. Do we know the, uh, I know I don't want to slow this down, but do we know the actual injury? Like, did he break his hands? Did he just bruise them? How serious was he, were these injuries? Uh, supposedly bad enough that I think he, he wasn't able to work mm-hmm. and, you know, had medical bills and things of that nature. All right. Um, essentially, the lawsuit starts off in California where Uranus Productions, yes, that is the name of the company, um, basically goes it gets into this complicated thing about, you know, he's a cameraman for this other company and he's working for the Swerve TV show and the Swerve TV show was hired by WWE Network to do this. And WWE is coming back and saying, hey, we never authorized you to do this prank. Our talent wrangler was somewhere else in the building when this happened. And um, the, these people are independent contractors. They do not work. They, they work for us, but they're independent contractors. They are not employees. And the flip side debate is basically that, well, Paige is the one that did this, and no one is disputing that Titus O'Neil attacked this guy and kicked him and made this guy so afraid that, quote, he was afraid for his life and was basically told to flee the building. Um, Titus O'Neil, I believe, actually is countersuing him right now, basically saying, look, I'm the guy who got hit with a cattle prod. <laughs> like, and it's not fair that this happened to me. Um, but in this lawsuit w- went through California, it basically was kicked out for jurisdictional issues and now is being filed in Florida. And so, um, is it going to be a huge deal breaker to WWE? Probably not, but it, it's a, I think it's just such a crazy red flag when you really get down to it, that WWE was doing this to its own wrestlers. And this is the way that some of these wrestlers kind of felt about it. Mm-hmm. And you can argue, oh, this wasn't the approved prank, but this says a lot about the way WWE is treating its people. If you really think about it. And one of the reasons why swerved was probably not a show that uh, was long for that network. There was not a, a season two. You could see Vince McMahon approving. A, I think a, there a, was a season two. Was there? You could see Vince McMahon approving a, a show like this though. You know, it, it's in line with, um, Oh yeah, there was a season two for sure. His corporate culture. Yeah. Yeah. I just mean, I, someone once told me that like they hate that a lot of wrestlers hated swerved. Yeah. And at the time, I thought, ah, you're overselling it. But now that I've thought about it a lot more, you can see why they'd be pretty annoyed by this. <laughs> um, the uh, April 17th, there's another lawsuit that's filed, and one that I think might actually have some interesting ramifications, which is a woman named Catherine Alexander sues and basically says, look, I did the artwork on Randy Orton, and here, I've even registered it. And you guys are replicating it for WWE 2K, uh, Ukes games, other stuff, and I deserve money. And you even offered me money, and you offered me a pitiful amount. Like you know, I can't remember there was seven hundred fifty bucks or seven thousand dollars or something. But they uh, they offered her some small amount of money, and she rejected it. 
And so it's just this interesting question about basically does a digital representation of a, of a copyrighted work, is that a violation of that person's art? And it's, it's honestly, you know, we, we heard about this same similar lawsuit over a tattoo artist for, I think LeBron James sued uh, one of the video games for that. And, and there's a really interesting argument about, you know, if someone actually goes through the effort of basically digitally recreating someone else's work, what are you doing? So, and, and what are the law and the rights around it? So this is one that I, it's not going to cripple the company. It's not going to have a huge effect like that, but it has a really interesting legal situation with it. And it's one that I'm trying to track very much. Maybe it'll go to the Supreme court. The other cases with it have, have not really um been very uh well-defined. They haven't created a good precedent. Yeah. I, I, I say that tell. half jokingly, but this sounds like a, a really difficult case, right? This is sort of new stuff. I mean, tattoos probably i mean not people have been having tattoos for centuries but you know that's a it's a very popular thing now and uh how do you deal with that well and it also has to do with your right of publicity of your image your yeah. your ability to to market and sell yourself yeah you know at what point is it on you and it's representative of you and then also at what point is wwe thinking that they have rights to something or not thinking they have rights to someone or something mm-hmm and will it have an effect in the future? You know, like, will it be to the case where, like, now when you sign up, they're going to say, okay, wh- who did all your tattoos? Yeah. Are we going to have to pay them royalties? Yeah. I want to know um, uh, I want to know where Justice Kennedy stands on the issue of Randy Orton's tattoos. Well, you might have a chance to ask, ask him, and he might even answer in a few years here. Yes. Um, Greatest Royal Rumble actually happens April 26th. Yes. Uh, we figure maybe, what, 50,000 people might have gone? Yeah, I, I, it, it's listed on Wikipedia, things like that, as 60. There was no announcement during the show itself, uh, but that's, I, I think that's what it's, it's roughly, 50,000. And again, like we just talked about, it'll be interesting to see how W actually reports this when we get their Q2 report at the end of July here. Um, uh, there was a time that they did a show in Jeddah, which is actually the same place they did this here. Many years ago, they went to Jeddah, and they did a really low number, like 2,000 people. Mm-hmm. And I remember that they made a big deal in the report being like, well, this was a paid show. So we, you know, it looks really bad, but because it's a paid show, it's not even really our attendance number. It's the local promoters attendance uh, number. Uh, we adjust, got paid a flat uh, that's fee. That's adjusted attendance. Yeah. But it was, it was something where it was like, we got paid a flat fee to do the show. So don't care about the attendance mm-hmm. was kind of the message that time. And uh, I think they did the same similar thing in South America once. But I just mean there, there's ways that I've seen them do that, you know, in the past where they've kind of tried to skirt around it. Yeah. But I mean, it's like purely as like a wrestlematrician here. Uh, we're, we're talking when we when we look at the, the, the numbers that W provides for their attendance and their attendance reports in in a document called the Key Performance Indicators and in their actual quarterly reports themselves, the um, what the 10Ks or is it, no 10Q. Um, they put numbers in there. They count attendance, and we're under the impression that those are the paid numbers. Okay, there's no, there's no WrestleMania in those numbers. Those are paid numbers, and so how do well, you? Well, there's no WrestleMania inflation. Yeah, but there's no hot dogs vendors in those numbers. Yeah, yeah. So how do you? Um, so d- 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 the tickets that were sold at, for the Greatest Royal Rumble, not by W itself, but by the government, is what I'm under the impression of. So how, do those tickets? Are those tickets going to be counted as W paid tickets? Or not? Are they just going to like throw some money at revenue and be like this? This event doesn't even count towards our attendance calculation. We'll see. 
you know, and I think that's one of the cases where WWE struggles with their financial accounting is how do you deal with a revenue stream like that? And we've seen that in the past where like WrestleMania is a good example where you're making money in many ways at WrestleMania. You make money on access. You make money on live merch. You make money on the pay-per-view. You make money on the network presentation. You make money on sometimes there's even a TV rebroadcast of it like they've done in the past. Mm -hmm. Then you make money on the live gate. And this is a case where I think very strongly they'll probably say we were played a flat fee to do the the live event. And then they'll just try to report it almost as that. And then however it fits into that new structure I mentioned earlier, media, consumer products and live events or something, I think, were the big three. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, they'll just shove it in one of those and it will be a, they, they, I mean, hell, WWE has done all sorts of weird things when you read through their financial reporting. I remember one time they took a prepayment on a TV deal so they would have free cash flow to pay dividends. You know, they'll do lots of stuff like that. But um, maybe you can talk a little bit about what did Michelle Wilson say when she was finally pressed? Because this was a point I've been making for a while, which is one of WWE's co-presidents essentially would have a very hard time of going to Saudi Arabia and being treated as an equal to George Berrios and in some ways the president of the company because of the policies and the restrictive nature of the role of women in Saudi Arabia. And uh, what did Michelle Wilson uh, have to say when she was finally asked? Let me throw Triple H in here a a couple days before the greatest Royal Rumble talking about how Saudi Arabia really isn't that bad. Well, I, I have been to Saudi before and I've been to the Middle East quite a few times over the years. We've done 40 events or so. Um, in in the past um, in this region and you know I'm I'm always amazed when I come here that the fan base is so deep and their love for WWE is is so intense Um, it's such a welcoming place and to be honest um, I think that it's misunderstood in a lot of the world when you come here to Saudi it is it's just a wonderful place, and the people are so friendly here, and they, they're they're excited to see you, especially when it comes to WWE. They um, we are like um, superheroes come to life, and they can see you walking down the street in front of them, and it's um, they 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 kind of look in awe. It's, it's a wonderful. Yes, it's just wonderful. It's amazing. So uh, that was before the Greatest Royal Rumble event happened on April twenty seventh. Uh, but then, and, and to be you know, he's painting with a very broad stroke there, comparing Dubai and. Saudi Arabia, you know, Riyadh, as if they're the same place. Mm-hmm. And, you know, do, the shows he's done, very different each place. And I'm sure his experiences there are very positive. And I think everyone has a lot of misconceptions about the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. I think we think of Saudi Arabia very monolithically, and it's it's money, it's all things to all people. So I think he's very right that we probably have a vision of you know, one set of regime and one set of mindset and one set of, of rights of people. And it's very complicated, but that doesn't change some of the other things that are well-documented, well-understood and are happening in that country right now, especially under the increasingly autocratic um, governance of, of MBS. Mm-hmm. Uh, less than a week later, W has their Q1 conference call and Michelle Wilson uh, answers a question about how, you know, does does uh, working in Saudi Arabia, working with the government there, really align with W's values? Right, last question. Just curious, your sort of uh, perspective, I guess, post Saudi Arabia here, maybe your key takeaways, and I guess how you sort of balance, on one hand, sort of leading the charge on uh, women's rights and women's revolution, and, and doing a business uh, in a region that is maybe not not so much leading the charge here in terms of uh, women's rights. Thank you. So I think 
I think everyone is familiar with the fact that uh, we obviously have been very vocal about um, our female performers and, and obviously rebranding them to WWE superstars. Um, we feel really good about our continued commitment to, to that front. Um, as, as you know, and we know we, there are many countries around the world where we perform where, you know, again, we're respectful of um, the cultures that are there, but we certainly hope to be um, part of the change moving forward. I think some of you know in advance of our event in Saudi Arabia, we had um, the first ever women's match in the Middle East in Abu Dhabi, and you know, um, having heard the stories there, I was not there personally, but when you hear our two female performers, Alexa Bliss and Sasha Banks, talk about that experience and looking into the audience and seeing uh, little boys and little girls and, and the crowd actually chanting, this is hope, um, for us, we believe that over the long term that um, we will be part of the change that will happen in some of these places. But again, we have to be respectful of the cultures where we perform and we, we plan to do that. Um, so again, over time, it's, it's a 10-year partnership and, and as George mentioned, we have a significant fan base in the Middle East, not just men, but women as well. And uh, you know, we're, we're proud and, and happy with how the event went and we'll continue to um, treat those cultures respectfully while hoping to be part of some of the change that will be taking place. So, awesome. Thanks, guys. but Dubai, don't, don't forget about Dubai. Dubai's in the Middle East, too. They, they clearly had to write up a, you know, they had a session where they sat around and said, what are we going to say as our marketing response to this? And this is, you know, as, as the former chief marketing officer, she, she took the lead on this is their message. Yeah. And I, you know, props to, I think it was Mike Hickey who asked that question. And uh, I'm glad someone called him on it, you know, and said, hey, you, you talk about this and you're doing that. Is there a fundamental um, contradiction here? And the, the ultimate question is always going to be, do you stay away from a market like this until it, quote unquote, meets your standards? Mm -hmm. And, you know, depending on how much of a, a ethical, moral social political compass you're going to have as a company you're going to come to different conclusions i don't think people should be surprised wwe came to this conclusion you know it's in their dna to make money and to go around the world and to uh you know play into you know i think the angle that they ran in saudi arabia just compounded the fact that they were willing to you know play into iranian jingoism Iranian fears and jingoism mm -hmm. in Saudi Arabia and other things at that time. Yeah, they had, and uh, so uh, we were referring to the Ari and Sean Davari come out who were of Iranian descent come out to, and, uh, you know, get, get heat against these, uh, tryout participants who were from, from Saudi Arabia or, or approximately there. So yeah, with Saudi Arabian heritage. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and the fact that they, I mean, they came out with an Iranian flag. It wasn't like they just came out and they were supposed to be booed because they, yeah. they had and Persian. The, and then the point is, this isn't like U.S. and Canada where there's like friendly rivals. This is like they're in a proxy war. Yeah. Yeah. In Yemen. Exactly. And so it, it's just one of those where WWE is being itself. <laughs> I think that's the key here is that if, if there becomes a breaking point, yeah, they'll step away. But the amount of money that we believe they're getting, and we still don't know what that number is. It could be a million dollars. It could be $10 million. It seems the way they're acting to be closer to the high end than the low end for them to bother to go 
the month of WrestleMania and basically do a stadium show in Saudi Arabia and put 50 talent on and bow to every whim and, you know, glad mouth this as much as they can, glad hand it and whatnot says a lot. And I think the Q2 numbers are going to be very revealing because we'll start to see how they're going to account for that. And we don't know if it's a lump sum payment. Is it a cash payment? Is it an investment payment? Is it a, you know, I don't think we've seen any filings that suggest, you know, that a sovereign wealth fund or something has bought a bunch of WWE stock. But, you know, that that's that might not be far off for all we know. Mm-hmm. I'm done talking about Saudi Arabia. Okay. I feel like we've done 50 shows on it. Yes. And uh, there's not much more to say for we'll, me sometimes. We'll, we'll do another um, show. Except for to say New York Times had a really good piece. I think it was a week ago. And I highly recommended everybody read it. Uh, the opinion piece. Uh, just about the contradictions of Saudi Arabian society today. And just kind of putting a human face on the fact that, you know, it, beyond politics and things, there's people who whose lives are better, worse, and indifferent from all these changes. Uh, May 8th, WWE sues Transworld Television, it's a Lebanese company, over defaulting on their payments for TV rights. Uh, something I always bring up, a lot of people just don't pay any attention to it, but the fact is, WWE signs these agreements but doesn't always get paid for them. And uh, if if you continue to expand around the world, a certain percentage of it, you always have to be at risk that you might not get paid for it. It's also interesting to watch WWE's legal tactics around trying to redact these documents as much as they can and get them filed under seal as people like me and David Bixon's band and other people out there continue to try to find these filings and kind of report on them publicly. Yes. How much are they spending to redact these, you think? Not a lot to redact. I just think it's interesting to see them putting the extra effort in, especially when you can go back and find older versions of lawsuits that they've done where they didn't bother. Mm-hmm. And... um you know, I think specifically in this case, the reason that they're so sensitive is because of actually the TV deals more than just the legal, you know, the, the it's not the legal beagles like me and David. It's the uh, the TV deals where they don't want to kind of give a hint of what kind of escalations that they're using in the old terms mm-hmm. because there's a fear that, you know, other people might try to use that as a, a model or a guide for themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, May 10th, uh, five and WWE announced a broadcast agreement to televise we're on the Philippines. So again, more and more international deals. Uh, and then we have the big week. Between May 16th and May 21st, some huge news begins to break. Yes. On May 16th, The Hollywood Reporter breaks the news that SmackDown is up for grabs. It looks like Raw is staying with the USA Network, but the USA Network is not going to retain SmackDown. SmackDown is being left to open bidding in the U.S. TV market. It took another six days to go by for The Hollywood Reporter to come out with another report. That's that said. Yes, SmackDown is going to Fox. There's been some talk about that. We had talked about that ahead of time. Um, SmackDown going to Fox on Fridays. Uh, we and were- and I think also in that May 16th announcement was basically the revelation that WWE was going to get the same amount of money from USA Network just to do Raw as they're getting for Raw and SmackDown today. Yeah. Or that basically USA Network didn't feel they could win both, and so it decided to concentrate their bid on just one property. What was a shock to me is that May 21st one that SmackDown was interested in, 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 uh, I'm sorry, Fox was interested in SmackDown because I kind of felt like, oh, this original deal might be making it sound like USA doesn't want SmackDown. So it's the lesser property, but rather the, the second round of details just kind of made it a, the WWE stock go nuts. Um, so I, I think if you pulled up what the, the rates were, can you pull up what, um, WWE stock was worth on May 15th versus May 17th versus May 22nd. Mm, what's the first date? 
May May 15th, the day before we heard that SmackDown was up for grabs and that USA Network was probably going to retain. May 15th, $43.65. So May 15th, it's $43. Okay. Uh, What was it on May 17th? $50. So that was the initial boost from the the USA Network announcement. What was it on uh, May 22nd? $57. I'm rounding up here. So they got they got a five dollar or seven dollar boost the one time and then another seven dollar boost. So mm-hmm. pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, just the stock just shooting up. You know, they, for years it it was kind of a debate of could they get above thirty, and then in the course of a week they went from forty three dollars to fifty seven dollars. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, a, a million things have been written about this. I think what was surprising was just the length of time between these deals breaking and the the enormous detail to these deals. In such a way that it was a clear, it was an orchestrated leak. Yeah. And then the the revelation, I think, that, A, some of these Fox negotiations actually went pretty deep in terms of how recent they were. They were much later in, they were down to the wire much more than I thought they would be. Mm-hmm. Like uh, the Hollywood Reporter article about when they went to go meet with um, Fox. I just want to look at the date on that. that. The date on that event was May 17th. So that was allegedly, you know, the. It was the day after. It's the day right after that the Hollywood Reporter report, reports that SmackDown is up up for grabs. So that story gets out there. The next day, WWE's meeting with Fox. Yeah. So, very interesting there. And of course, having such a big meeting with all those big wigs there, it's clearly you know pre-planned. It's not like Rupert Murdoch clears his schedule to meet with WWE and have that kind of presentation if it's not already in the can. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it was planned. Went what when they would meet, but it's interesting to see kind of uh, the dog and pony show that, that Fox went through to do it. And, and again, we later learned that it was Fox sports that really ended up signing this, not just Fox. Yes. Um, May 31st, kind of a, a, a weird footnote is this Huffington post story about at Amy Meek, who is described as quote, a very virulent anti-Muslim Twitter troll uh, who's revealed to be Amy Meckleberg. And uh, the, the connection to this whole thing is that she's married to Sal Sanino. Uh, and he is the SVP of global content distribution and business development for WWE. And part of his deal would be, for instance, negotiating United Arab Emirates deals. Mm-hmm. And so when uh, the Huffington Post reporter basically goes to uh, WWE and says, do you have any comments about the fact that, you know, a very high level person in your company, someone you've issued corporate press releases about, uh, is in fact married to someone who spends all day tweeting about um, how terrible Muslims are and how they're a danger to society and whatnot. And this guy does Middle East business development. And WWE basically says, we don't know anything about this. And then shortly thereafter, he's fired. And of course, then the reporter gets a lot of heat for more or less um, getting this guy fired. And the questions about, you know, culpability of, are you culpable for your spouse's actions? I think from WWE standpoint, you know, it was a huge liability for them, right? Mm-hmm. To have a, a story like this and to have someone who would appear to be tolerant of the views of someone who is going to negatively affect their job so seriously. Yeah, it, it's a funny chain you can go through here to be like, well, W doesn't want you to talk about the president or anything like that online, but uh, but the CEO's wife is in, in the cabinet and uh, maybe Trump would sympathize with a lot of these things that this you know, Amy Meckelberg's tweeting, 
But uh, if well, she's just the spouse of one of our executives, well, we're going to fire him then. Yeah. So I think part of it, too, is that it doesn't matter if they think it's the if he's impacting them or not as much as do they think that the partners that he's negotiating with are going to think he's credible mm-hmm. and is this going to play well? And, you know, if it was European, maybe if he, if he wasn't in charge of Middle Eastern business development, there's a there's a strong argument about whether or not there's a connection of a story here. Like, I doubt if he had a job just at WWE, they bother they would have bothered mentioning this if it wasn't for the fact that his job literally involves negotiating with with Muslim countries. Mm-hmm. Um, June 1st, Imogen Television uh, is going to televise Raw SmackDown in Mexico. Uh, this is a deal that I'm really curious about because we know that Latin America TV rights is something that WWE talks about. And it's not clear how this Mexico deal versus the Fox Sports Latin America deal kind of work out in terms of is the Latin American Fox Sports deal up or not. Um, June 5th, uh, jury in Cook County, Chicago, finds in favor of CM Punk and Colt Cabana in the Dr. Amon defamation lawsuit. Um, we talked a lot about this both before the, the lawsuit while it was going on and then after it was over. I I told everybody it was happening. I think a lot of people were dubious that it was happening. And I kept saying, no, this is the date is scheduled to happen. And um, it's a individual case in the sense that it was about Dr. Aman suing these people because he felt that they uh, resulted in harassment and defamation to him. What was never proved in a great fashion was how he was harmed beyond mean things being said to him on Twitter. They were not able to bring into evidence of actual harm around his job status, around his insurance premiums, or other things. Um, It was a very long, drawn-out lawsuit, and it was very clear he wanted to settle for a lot of money. And and, uh, CM Punk did not want to settle, and Colt Cabana did not want to settle for a lot of money. And it was very specific to, I think, some of the facts of this case and the references being made towards the people. And there's very strong evidence that WWE had something to do with encouraging this lawsuit, supporting it and possibly financially funding parts of it. Mm -hmm. Um, Ultimately it was dismissed and the legal bills remain with the wrestlers that had to front them and the uh, council on both sides, but it did not uh, result in a way that there'd be a recouping of that money. And so it did not end up with CM Punk having to go back to WWE on his knees. You know, he fought in UFC that same week and lost. Um, but uh, just a fascinating case for kind of the uh, the blurred hand of a big corporation like WWE, where it would be ridiculous to pretend that they had nothing to do with this and no knowledge of it. Uh, just exactly their their culpability is is always going to be a question mark, and I'll be curious to see when we go to All In if I'm able to get any of these records and find anything interesting. And of course, I was told there was nothing interesting to be found. No. And then immediately, David Bixenspan <laughs> got documents basically showing that uh, at one point Christopher Mann was having you know relationships, sexual relationships with some of the people that supposedly he was supposed to be treating which is a, a gross violation of, of medical ethics and best practices. And, and speaking of people losing their jobs in WWE, as far as we know, Dr. Mon still works for WWE. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a um, fascinating um, 
fascinating counterpoint within a week. Yeah, I, I, right? I bring that up because at the time, May thirty first and June fifth, they're a week apart from each other. Yeah, that, that, that's true too. Yeah, but and and at the time, we were, we're Bix broke that broke that story. We had talked about like, is he going to be able to keep his job over this? They're going to fire him. What's going to happen? But uh, here we are. It's July eighth. He's still got a job, as far as we know. Though uh, Meltzer did write cryptically that uh, supposedly his quote-unquote contract was up in October. Mm. However that works. Um, June 18th, uh, WWE launches their NXT UK brand officially. Of course, you know, they've had NXT UK type events. They've had UK talent that's been signed on contracts for a long time. But they've officially announced NXT UK. And uh, this is very relevant because the Business Partner Summit talks about global localization. And the fact it's called NXT UK, it's not called WWE Presents, WWE UK by the NXT brand, you know. It, the fact it's an NXT extension says a lot. This is very much the playbook that, that Triple H said he was going to do in April. And that very few people sat and listened to his Business Partner su- Summit. But it's pure proof that that is full of media and investment potential. And that's why I think it's ridiculous that they don't allow the media to report on this event because it's very clear that they're laying out their business strategy. Mm-hmm. And it's silly to me that I have to wait weeks and weeks and weeks to actually find them to put up a video link to it. Yeah. We have to get uh, hired by ESPN or something. Or uh, BTIG or someone. Yeah. Some four-letter acronym company needs to hire us, clearly. Yeah. June 26th, WWE officially announces the new deals with USA and Fox. And uh, they put out the big press release. They actually put out a bunch of press releases. They put out one just with USA, one just with Fox, one with both. One basically saying, we're going to host a media call on this. One of them saying, hey, here's the media call. It's just going to be George and Michelle. And uh, there's comments on it. Uh, George, of course, speaks on this conference call. And uh, maybe you can cue up that audio of what George says on the conference call. And we have completed agreements with USA Network and Fox Sports for the distribution of our flagship programs in the U.S. As part of these five-year agreements, which will become effective October 1st, 2019, Monday Night Raw will continue to air on USA Network, and Fox Sports will distribute SmackDown Live each Friday on Fox Broadcast Network. New agreements expand our audience reach as they leverage both cable and broadcast platforms. The distribution of live content with consistent viewership creates tremendous value for our network partners. In recognition of this value, new agreements increase the average annual value of our U.S. distribution to 3.6 times that of the prior deal with NBC Universal. So 3.6, I think earlier in the show I said 2.6. That isn't correct. 3.6. Well, I, I think it also depends on how you count. Yeah. If if you said I increased it to 1.0, then that would be a 0% increase. So it, it might be 260% larger than it was before. Mm-hmm. You know, I, it, it's one of those weird things where are you talking index or are you talking percentage growth or are you talking some other measure? But yeah. And and what makes it even more confusing is that then they mention the 3.6 number, but then in all the graphs they do, it's about core content rights, not total TV rights. And it's about top seven markets, but it's not broken out to say, here's the U.S. number, the Canada number, the U.K. number, the India number, the um, Latin American number. 
the Middle Eastern number. And so you're left to try to figure out how 3.6 fits into this larger scheme. Mm-hmm. Oh, and South Africa. Yep. Can't forget about South Africa. <laughs> so, yeah, it's it's a complicated thing. But, yeah, they're very excited. It's a huge number. The stock rockets, right? $70 plus immediately, yep. overnight. Yep. It's bizarre because they, they announce the conference call and they have the conference call both before uh, the market opens and closes. So the market closed. They announced the conference call. Then they had the conference call, and then the market opened. So it was, it was a unique situation where they kind of rushed it all in as quickly as they could. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that brings us up. We are we are current. This is live. This is where we are. WWE uh, 2018 half one is done. How long did it take us to talk about it? Um, more than two hours. Two, two hours and change. Has wow, there been two a, hours? Has there been a six months in WWE that I don't know. So many big stories happened. I think from a Russellnomic standpoint, for, yeah, it is an enormous year for them. It's up there with 2014 in terms of just years where everything was changing. Mm-hmm. Uh, because they did, remember in 2014, they did a TV deal and they did the network launch. So you That's could true. argue there was even more changes going on then. Mm-hmm. But 2018, you're seeing the culmination of the international strategy concurrent with the TV deal negotiations. Mm-hmm. And that brings up to, okay, is WWE making more money? Absolutely. Are they going to make more profit? Absolutely. What are they going to do with that money? Nobody knows. Everybody comes up with their own ideas. But let's look at the, the metrics. What What is WWE's metrics? Are they more successful, less successful than they were before? And then what, what are we, what can we look at that tells us about the core desire of people to engage with wrestling? So, uh, viewership, is it up, down, flat? Viewership is um, it's flat, whereas it had been down double digits of percent when you look at the, at the same quarter over multiple years. Um, I think what, what's happening too is so raw twenty five somewhat skews that number, right? Yeah, because yeah. raw twenty five is an artificial bump for Q one of this year, but and you could argue the... if you took that out, it's probably less positive. It's not double digit de- decline, but it, it's a less positive story for Q one. Yeah, but there's quarters before and after that are that perform similarly in terms of like there's no more big decline. Yeah, it's yeah, p- there's oh. definitely month over month that that it makes it similar, and so it, it says that the erosion is we've stemmed the bleeding for sure. Yeah, at it, this moment, it's it's up or down like one or two, maybe three percent. Um, and I think you know if, if, when we talk about all these big metrics, and I think what a lot of people think about when they think about is WWE going to make money is is popularity. And you know, here we are again, and this is like one of these situations where we ha- where wrestling is totally different. At least WWE level wrestling is totally different than wrestling has ever been at any point before in terms of like, well, you gotta get stars in here to draw money in the big match. And uh, I don't know, W makes more and more money. The, the the big metric besides what we're going to talk about here, attendance and viewership and W network subscriptions and Google's web searches uh, is another thing besides money. And they just make more and more and more and more and more money. And that's what every apologist wants to tell you. And when uh, we talk about things that we're going to talk about, like eh, it's kind of stagnant. Yeah. And, and part of it is their, um, they're getting a little bit more aggressive on how many shows they can run in a year. Part of it is that they're, they're using tiering strategies to um, work the demand curve and to, in some ways, create a higher ticket price and demand for their, their products. 
and then utilize that to make more revenue. So the average ticket price has gone up a lot over the last five years here, mm-hmm. whereas attendance has flat and dropped. And yet you make more revenue doing that, but you risk driving people away from your event. You're no longer a a cheap solution. You're no longer a a a I should go to this house show because it's only going to cost me ten bucks. Uh, and, and like you say, attendance. So I looked at attendance and we, we know Q1 already. So Q1 domestic attendance was down 10%. It went from 6,000 in 2017 to 5,400 in 2018. I think some of that number is skewed by the Royal Rumble of 2017. Um, some of it is a sign that we're probably down. Um, you know, if I looked at, you know, the numbers I'm getting out of the, uh, observer, we went from 4,000. 81 for house shows to 3,916. And again, I'm pretending like I have decimal precision on this. Mm -hmm. So it's about flat to down. Um, TV tapings uh, actually look like they might've been up in uh, Q1. Now, if you go to Q2 where we don't have numbers yet uh, and we're making prediction for the future here, um, house show numbers go down a lot. I mean, they were at 3,900 last year and the observer numbers have them down to 3,100 domestically. So that's a big drop. Um, if we were to say, what is the kind of numbers rolled all together last year, it was 5,500. If you include TV rights or TV and pay-per-views and then this year, um, and again, I'm looking at a non WrestleMania number. I should mention this is 5,500 less WrestleMania. Um, and this year I'm guessing it'll be closer to maybe 5,200, which would be about down maybe 5%. So we've seen a drop of several hundred on us house shows. Canadian house shows and a drop of a couple hundred on the TV shows. So my guess is maybe down 5% ish for WWE uh, for attendance for this year. It could be worse. It could be even 13% when I looked at it by multiplying out by house show numbers, but it's hard to say whether is it going to be down 5%? Is it going to be down 13%? If we were down 10% in Q1, I bet you we're going to be down somewhere. And this is non WrestleMania involved. I'll, I think we'll be down somewhere around 10% in Q2 is my guess right now. Mm-hmm. So you, you could say attendance is sort of flat, but I, I could also make an argument that, that it's actually down. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I think house show attendance uh, in Q1 actually might've gone up. And in Q2, uh, I think it's down by, you know, for, versus 7,700 to 7,400 now. Mm-hmm. And your average house show, just so you kind of have a number in your head, your average house show is going to be somewhere between around 4,000. It depends if it's running on a Monday, and it depends if John Cena is on the card. Those are going to be two big factors that are going to drive that number way down or way up. John Cena only working a handful of house shows at this point, right? This, yeah, in, yeah. In so he's, yeah. he's less and less of a factor, and he seems to be the only person who's a real factor these days. Um, Brock doesn't work enough shows for us also to compare against. And then you, the, the few shows that some of these other people work, you know, it's like an MSG or something. And that's not a good predictor of what is house show attendance really like undertaker. Uh, what about Google web searches? They a Brandon Howard Thurston special. Are you the expert in, in Google searches? I see you tweeting about uh, Google searches, uh, all the time, right? That's no, you, right? No, that's you, buddy. Oh, that's all you. Um, Google searches are down. Um, just about every month in, in just about all. So I looked at the big regions of worldwide, the, the entire globe. And then I looked at the U S and I looked at the United Kingdom, uh, India and Canada. 
and uh, just looking at it, looking at the month by month breakdowns and comparing them to the the prior month, and then almost every month except January, which included, of course, the Royal Rumble and, and lots of news about Ronda Rousey's debut in WWE. Um, almost every month compared to the prior year is down for Google web searches for WWE. What does hmm. that What does that mean? Well, I, so I think it means I don't know. People are just thinking less about WWE. Uh, in in all their major markets, and and it, it suggests that something like the Facebook mix match challenge campaign did not necessarily set the world on fire, and that you know new media exposure of a couple million people doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get a ton of new stuff. It's not a bad idea, but it doesn't mean that you know it translated to instant yeah commercial success. Also suggests that the, the outrage is is contained, right? The outrage. That, that you know, people are upset about Snickers and Mae Young and Saudi Arabia and Amy Meek and You're, you're not seeing else. giant spikes. Well, I guess you are seeing a giant spike for WrestleMania. WrestleMania is always the, the, the highest point of their, their Google interest in a year. And if we're talking unless, about... Unless it's a Chris Benoit situation, yeah. Right. Yeah, that that is the highest interest of all time is, is Chris Benoit. And, and that's what I mean is that controversy does drive spike, does drive traffic. And the fact that we're not seeing a big spike in these times yeah. says to me that, yes, there's outrage, but it's not universal outrage. It's contained outrage in small sectors of wrestling. Yeah. And that that's the difference is that if there was a public condemnation of WWE in a way that was going to be meaningful, that would that would have an effect. Mm-hmm. But that's not the level we're at. This is this is not. This is not breaking the. This is not breaking the internet. No, it's not a pounce uh, over the top rope to the outside. Yes, you you started to break the internet this week with your ESW clip. I didn't, break uh, it. which I, I'm sure you were there and you're like, "Wow, this is going to be huge." I'm so glad I'm here for this memor- this giant moment in in Western New York wrestling history. And I was there. I was watching and I was paying attention to it. And I will always be able to tell my kids about the day I was there at ESW. Yeah, we'll talk about that in the uh, premium show. We will. We will. Um, what is WWE? Well, talking about the future then, yeah. The, talking about our kids. Talking to say, you know, we predicted that such and such was going to be a big deal for WWE. We've now gone through the first six months, and there's lots of twists and turns that I did not expect for WWE. What is? What are the big stories for the rest of the year for WWE, for our WrestleNomic students out there? Well, on October 6th, there's going to be the third stadium show ran by WWE in 2018. I think maybe they're they're uh, getting insecure with uh, my God, New Japan's running an arena size show. There's gonna be an all in arena size show. We need to run more stadiums. No, it's probably got nothing to do with it. But they're gonna go to Melbourne to the Melbourne and the live gate for this will be a hell of a lot more than Saudi Arabia. I mean, Saudi Arabia will generate more revenue, but the live gate, the actual ticket price times seats will be much much higher for Australia than it was for Saudi Arabia. The ticket prices will be higher. I don't know what true, Saudi Arabia true. is paying them. I think what Saudi Arabia paid them for the Greatest Royal Rumble might be comparable to this event. Yeah, but but I think it's going to be interesting. With this is going to be closer to a WrestleMania esque gate, or a very large SummerSlam gate, or something. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's a significant win for them, and uh, it it means a lot, you know they're going to have what Rumble 2019 at Chase Field in Phoenix, and then WrestleMania in New York, New Jersey, mm-hmm. um, all stadium shows. But yeah. Big, big shows coming up here. And so it, it's a grind for the production people to be going around the world and doing these kind of shows. But it's also very exciting because for years and years, we always heard 
well, if it doesn't matter, shouldn't you be able to do a pay-per-view in another country of the world and just let it go? And we're seeing more and more evidence that WWE is is weaning themselves away from the whole, we got to make sure it plays well for the U.S. time uh, time zone, time frame. Mm-hmm. And them just kind of embracing the fact that, yeah, these events are going to happen in other countries of the world and other times of the world, and that's okay. UK deal. India deal. They got to get done. These are the big dominoes for WWE. TV rights deals are what fuels the stock. When I look at a stock price of $75, my big question is what is left for them to announce that's going to make it higher? Because to me, all that is is what is left for them to announce that is not going to make it higher is if they come in low on UK or they come in low on India, that's going to hurt the stock a lot. Obviously, this last TV rights deal proved there's always some risk adjustment in the stock number. Because if there wasn't, there would be no reason for the stock to go any higher. Because we had a pretty good idea of what the WWE US deals were for SmackDown and Raw, and yet the stock still shot up, what, 10 bucks? Stock doesn't shoot up 10 bucks unless there's some amount of people that didn't realize this was happening. Or weren't confident it was happening. So the UK and the EU uh, India deals, there's a possibility it could go higher. I still think that is very tough because, you know, some people are going to start getting antsy here soon that maybe they're overpricing. At the same time, BTIG is predicting a hundred bucks, 92 bucks. They're, they're ready for the stock just to explode. So it'll be interesting to see where it goes. So we'll hear about UK, uh, when? By the end of the year. And we should, and we'll be- hear about India when? By the middle of next year. And you did a bunch of math. You tried to guess what maybe the, the ramifications of, of profit margin or, or, or WIBDA percentage might be on these different things, right? Mm-hmm. That um, you, you guessed what revenue from TV would, which right now is maybe about a third of their money, 34%. How much do you think it will be of their total volume by, say, 2025? Almost half. And, this, this and is... I think it can be even more than that, to be honest. I really do. Mm-hmm. I, I think you might even be using conservative growth factor there. I got that from a Triple H's nutritionist. Oweebda um, uh, from from TV. What it, where, what percentage of the total Oweebda, which again is operating income before depreciation, amortization, think of it as a profit-like measure. Mm-hmm. What portion of that will be coming from TV today versus the future? 49% last year to two-thirds by 2025. And that's really relevant because that goes to the fact that whether or not fans show up to the arena, two-thirds of their profit will still probably be coming from television. In theory, if no fans show up to the arena, it's going to be a lot more than two-thirds. It'll be 100% of their profit. But just that idea that so much of their growth right now is in a guaranteed revenue stream. Mm -hmm. And if you think that that revenue stream is undervalued, you've made a great deal for yourself. If you think it's overvalued, then you might be in trouble. Mm-hmm. Uh, total value, you know, it's $800 million right now. That was a huge number for 2017. That exceeded even my expectations for where they could end the year. Mm-hmm. And yet, where could it be by 2025? $1.5 billion. And the company is already worth billions of dollars on market cap. Five but in terms of their dollars. annual revenue, you know, they're going to exceed a billion dollars in the next two years here, probably. Yep. Uh, total WIBDA which is operating income before depreciation, amortization, profit type thing, uh, was maybe around $100 million last year. Again, they have they created a new adjusted Aweebda number, so I think they pumped that number up to like $110 uh, when they restated their numbers. Mm-hmm. So it even gets fuzzy there. But mm-hmm. 100 ish million right now, 
how what kind of multiplier are we looking at in the next maybe seven years? More than four times, up to maybe yeah. four hundred and fifty million dollars by twenty twenty five. Yeah. And right now you could think about it, it's about a one in eight ratio between OEBDA and revenue, and we'd be moving to maybe a one in three ratio or one in four ratio between four fifty to one point five. And and again, why why is that possible? Well, you're leveraging the TV segment, which is a very cheap segment to produce when you're adding extra revenue because there's not much more costs that are generated by giving you a higher TV deal. You want to run more live events? That costs a lot. You want to hire a lot more people? That costs a lot. You want to double the size of your, your building? That costs a lot. You want to create more widgets? That costs a lot. Price goes to the bottom line, and that's basically what this is. This is price. Uh, and they, they, the other things they're going to be looking for is that network 2.0 we talked about, maybe called not, WWE VIP. Not network 2.0. They're not going to call it 2.0. They know that's, that's a bad right. name. Yeah, but but it's something, and and they're probably going to add. We we went through a whole episode maybe three weeks ago where I, I broke down what I thought the network 2.0 was going to look like. Mm-hmm. What would the high tier have? What would the mid tier have? What would the low tier have? What would the free tier have? Where can you watch it? Who can watch it? What countries will it be out in? All that stuff. So listen to that show. Yeah. Then uh, global localization. A- this is Paul Levesque basically saying the territories are dead and we have nowhere to get talent. That's right. Because WWE exists by itself in a vacuum in this world. Mm-hmm. There's no other company. There's not some kind of Japanese pro wrestling company that is new. Hey. But as we've achieved national and worldwide success, the regional territory promotions disappeared. Without these territory promotions, there became no pathway for new talent to reach WWE. There was no place for talent to develop characters, hone their skills in front of a live audience, and more importantly, no place for them to prepare for the massive TV and digital platform that WWE superstars perform on today. We needed to reimagine our complete talent recruitment and development system. We had a vision. We took action to recreate our own talent pipeline. We built a system that can transform an athlete into a superstar. In 2013, we established the WWE Performance Center in Orlando, Florida. And for the first time, the WWE Performance Center let us focus on the development of the entire WWE Super the performance reimagined he, he reimagined he reimagined wrestling history so that uh independent wrestling in the, the 21st century never really happened or mattered and that it died it died it literally does not exist they they that they that undisputed era group mm-hmm. in nxt yeah who knows where they came from they must have been just a, a school teacher and a guitar player or something they were just big fans of WWE. They they were WWE Universe members for their entire lives. <laughs> exactly. So uh, yeah, you're right. This this global localization, this world NXT effort, this is a big deal. And we know that they probably are going to set up a school in the UK. I think they're going to do something in South America. I'm thinking Chile is a real strong possibility. I think that they'll probably do something in the Middle East because they're going to get a bunch of money to do it. Well, in, in that uh, talk, think- in that talk that Triple H gave at the Business Partner Summit, there's a point where you know there's, there's this huge video wall behind him that's showing all sorts of images, and at one point, it shows a map of the world, and you've got the NXT logo sprinkled all over this map, and of course the NXT logo is there on the United States, and he's got an NXT logo 
in South America, Europe, the Middle East, China, and India. In fact, even uh, these islands way up here in the Arctic Circle, I think these are the Falk Islands or something? Even the those islands, yeah. Even those are shaded in yellow. Probably accidentally, but, but they are shaded. Well, my guess is this. So they make such a big deal about WWE having the first women's match in the Middle East, right? Mm-hmm. But we know that's a lie. TNA beat them to the punch. Mm-hmm. But no one has made the claim that they are the first ones to do the Arctic Circle mm-hmm. women's revolution. Make history. Yeah. So you, they can make history. Mm-hmm. And think about it, They can promote on the Travel Channel. They could be promoting on BBC. You know, uh, David Attenborough presents Ooh. WWE Live. Yeah, I'm a big David. David oh, Attenborough. I'm sorry. NXT Arctic Circle. Yeah, I'm a big David Attenborough fan. Could he be the announcer? He could be the announcer for uh, for that <laughs> that brand. I hope so. I hope so. So you've been listening to uh, WWE Year in Review, half year in review, and uh, we have all these notes that we just went through here. We have other details available on the Patreon edition. Yeah. In a world of one million wrestling podcasts, there is a new shining star with great interviews, analysis, music, and and me, Matt Coon, on total engagement. Go to any podcast platform to listen today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.